Welcome to Sport Faith Life. I'm Chad Carlson. And I'm Brian Bolt. We're two guys from rival schools who came together with one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. We're sports scholars, we're coaches, and we're competitive athletes, or at least we were. And together, we've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Today on Sport Faith Life, we talk with Kevin Bruni, an athletic director at a large Christian high school and middle school in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where he's trusted with serving more than 115 teams and about 1,000 athletes and their families. He talks to us about this role, but also his connection with Grit Leadership, an organization that works to improve the mental and emotional health of students and athletes. Let's get started. We're so excited to have Kevin Bruni with us today. Kevin, hey, why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about sport in your life? Yeah, Chad, thank you. I, uh, I'm really excited to be talking with uh, with both of you guys today. And um, sport has been a, a huge part of my life. I was, you know, probably similar to you. I read some of your bio on the on the website, but played everything uh, growing up. It was pretty much everything I did every single day as a kid. Um, it was always going to be something that was part of my life. Um, you know, played a lot of high school sports, uh, went to went to college and played basketball in college. And um, when I finished college, I, I all I wanted to do was coach and give back to the games that I had played and, you know, needed a new competitive sport to play when I was done playing basketball uh, in college at Kelvin. And, and so I picked up golf and um, that became a, a sport that has really challenged me and grown me over time too. So that's kind of what I do now and um, in the in this part of my life. And, um, you know, I still coach. Um, I still participate in tons of sports and, I, and I'm an athletic director. So now each day I, um, you know, I started as a PE teacher and uh, made sport a big part of life. And then um, now I'm an athletic director. And so I get to work with families and kids and communities uh, every single day with the uh, – you know, with the classroom of sport uh, in their life. So it's a big part of, it's a big part of my life and always has been, and I'm sure it always will be. So that sounds like you're doing quite a bit giving back and interesting that you talk about the, having finding competitive outlets after the basketball career is done. That's right. We, we go through that. It's not an easy transition, but it sounds like you found, found plenty to do. So tell us a little bit about uh, faith in your life. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in, in West Michigan, so everybody has a view on what that's like. And, um, you know, I, I grew up in, in Christian communities, I had a great Christian family. Um, and long story short, I would say when I went to college, even though it was a Christian college, it was really the first time that I had the opportunity to choose if I would make faith something that was going to be my thing or just a, a thing that I had always done. And I will, I will clearly say that I stopped going to church. I did, you know, all the things that you would think, which is to just not, not participate. And that lasted about two months of my freshman year of college before I realized like I am quickly becoming kind of a sour person. (laughs) I started to feel some of, some of those things inside of me that I didn't really like. And, um, you know, to, to say the least, in that moment, I think there was gentle nudges from guys that I played basketball with or room near in this college at, at Kelvin uh, College at the time, and there was just nudges to go back to my to go back to the faith and make it mine. And um, 
nothing greater than going to Hoop Heaven out in in New York uh, over the summer after my freshman year um, and spending two weeks at a Christian basketball camp out there putting sport and faith together. Um, and it, it really changed me. It made me want to teach. It made me want to be a Christian school leader. And, um, you know, since then, uh, faith is faith is something where when I look back, I'm constantly seeing the challenge, the difficulties, the pain as things that have guided me to better places. And I know it's really easy to say that, but, but that idea of reflection on these, these situations we've been in, it's usually not comforting in the moment to know that God is in control. But when I look back, I can see how all of those things have guided me to the places that I've needed to go to, to further his kingdom and further the work that he's been doing in my life. And uh, so, so faith in, in, in my life is, is a daily, a daily important thing, something that I am grateful to have, to have a family and schools that have, have given me the opportunities to make faith my own. And um, over the last, I think it's 16 years of, of working in Christian schools um, only has strengthened my faith and, and my understanding of how important God is in our lives, in my life, and how he is guiding us through every single day, whether it feels that way or not in the moment. And it's something that I hope to to share with families and kids in my work uh, every single day, uh, that, that 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 is part of their life and that they do have a good God uh, behind the scenes and sometimes right in front of us, uh, helping us out every day. Well, Kevin, it's good to hear your story, at least the parts of it that you're able to share in that uh, short um, introduction uh, and I can already hear you're starting to try to make those connections between your work life uh, and your play life and your faith life, right? The kind of thing that we all try to do uh, here at Sport Faith Life. And you really have boots on the ground, right? You are uh, getting up every day, administrating sport, leading sport, and wondering, you know, what does it do and what does it not do? Um before we get to that, I wonder, is there something about yourself that maybe is a little off the beaten path, something that helps us get to know Kevin Bruni a little better? Well, I mean, I think it's important for, for people to know that um, when Chad and I played basketball against each other in college, we were, we were three and three. So each, each team won. But it is, it is I, I mean, I think we have to mention that I did outscore him 81 points to 71 points in those six meetings. So I'm not sure if that's, I'm not sure if that's great offense or, you know, he was known as a defender, but I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's something I, I just was, you know, thinking about, um, should, should be, should be mentioned. Uh, that is off the beaten path. I love that. But, no, <laughs> but, in, but in all seriousness, <laughs> you know, that was probably the most important thing for us to know. Okay. In fact, yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I can't wondering. imagine uh, any more important detail to bring to this podcast. So, so well, thanks very you know, much. Uh, and it might, Chad, I, I was not a great defender myself and I know that we guarded each other a lot. So I don't know. Maybe the people can draw their conclusions about that. I mean, it could be that you were more of a team player than I was. I, I didn't pass much, uh, but but I don't know. You know, I do remember one game after playing you guys. I ended the game with more stitches than points and rebounds combined. So, <laughs> so maybe that that plays in this overall tally that you're sharing. It could, yeah, you could. I don't know, but I, I thought that was of interest. That 
my, my <laughs> is also, you know, one thing that I do always mention is a few years ago, um, I believe it was 2019. I was on a, I was on a trip and had stomach pain, thought it was from an airplane flight. Uh, I was there for, for three, three days and then came home and still felt bad, went to work the day I came home and the second day back to work. So the fifth day in, I was, I just left work and I went to the hospital and uh, within about 15 minutes, I was in a, you know, a scanner and they had told me that I'd had a burst appendix for five days uh, at least. And they actually said the words, um, we're surprised you're not dead. Like that was, <laughs> that was what they said to me. So, you know, uh, I don't know if that's a testament to grit and perseverance and resilience or a testament to male stupidity and trying to be tough and my stomach's fine, you know, and work through it. I, I don't know, but, but it is nice that I'm still here today. And uh, God, you know, grew some kind of membrane around that uh, burst appendix because we all know how dangerous that is. But he, he certainly spared me in that moment. So um, I'm not, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. It says both, I think. But, uh, so we got uh, some updated basketball statistics that help us, but also, uh, you know, Chad with his, with his stitches and you with your burst appendix. I mean, let's talk about golf. I mean, this is uh, starting to really deteriorate here. So uh, actually, it's really helpful for us to to kind of use that to launch into our next thing. You use the word grit, Kevin. And uh, I know that you have been doing some intentional work around this idea of grit. And uh, I'm going to have a lot of questions about it. I think it goes back to uh, a number of things, but the most famous being probably Angela Duckworth's Duckworth's work um, uh, several years ago now. So I wonder if you can give us just a little background on how you got into that and how it connects to sport in your life. Yeah, I mean, the, the I'll try to be brief with it, but I have been released from a basketball coaching position uh, in the spring of 2017 which was the thing that I had always done. It was my favorite thing. It was the only thing that I wanted to do was be a basketball coach. And I thought I was doing a really good job at it. And it's one of those things where it's, it's, you're angry, you're mad, you're disappointed, you're embarrassed, a lot of things. And you just don't know what's happening. To say the least, I, I was, I was, I'd been an athletic director for about five years then and was getting really sick of transportations, complaining parents, you know, a variety of stuff. I end up in, in the fall, I'm like, you know what, this is my last year. I'm not going to do this anymore. You know, I'm just, I'm sick of this. I'm going to find something else to do. And I go to an AD conference in Chicago, which is a fantastic conference, learned a ton from some great Christian athletic directors. And the, and the thing that I learned the most, though, was in the last session of the day when I wanted to leave and go go actually play golf, we had, we had tea time at Cantini, which is a fantastic golf course. And I stayed for this conference because my boss said, no, we're going to stay. It's the last session of the day. If you were the last session of the day, you would want them to stay and pay attention to you. So I was like, all right, fine. You know, so I paid attention. I decided to tune in and it, and it really changed my life. I, what I learned as an educator was that kids were less gritty than they've ever been before. Um, they were more stressed, more depressed, um, more overwhelmed. And it was actually impacting their ability to make it through a four-year college. Uh, the, the, the research from that, um, that seminar 
really hurt me as an educator. I mean, our job as educators, especially in high schools, is to prepare kids to go on and do great things. And at Christian high schools is to go on and, and be a um, huge part of God's world and impact his world for him. And we were sending lots of kids to colleges and patting ourselves on the back, but they weren't able to make it. And they were leaving with all of these traumatic things. And that really hurt me. And so I started to started to learn as much as I could after that seminar about why, why is this happening? Why are we not being successful as educators? Um, we're being successful in one way, but maybe not in another. And um, it just led me to the idea of I can, I can learn all this stuff. And I think I've got an idea and it has to do with grit. And Angela Duckworth was a big part of that. Carol Dweck was a big part of that with growth mindset because Duckworth says she doesn't know how to grow grit, but she knows that one place to start is, you know, growth mindset. So I started working there and and just an avalanche of different research came together um, and kind of said like, hey, we, we can do something about this, right? Like we don't have to just have people that are like this. We, we, we can help them. We can, we can lead them a different way um, and, and make a difference for them. So that, that kind of was where I, where I kind of built this idea about being leaders who can develop grit in others. And the place of influence that I had was, was athletics at our school. And so my, my boss was very much supportive of, of the work that I was doing and what we were trying to do. And, you know, kind of spurn on a lot of ideas of how we could, how we could do this in an athletic community um, and, and start, to, start to help our athletes and help their families and, and our coaches do a better job at developing grit um, in, in everyone around them. So give some examples of what this looks like at the school where you work. Give some examples of... How, you, how you've seen this. I mean, there, it's a, it's a, it's in some ways kind of a generational shift, but you know, not every kid deals with this, but there's this great research that comes out now that's so helpful for us. You know, how do you, how do you apply that? And what are some examples of that in, in the work you do as an athletic director? Yeah. The, the work that we do is we try to focus on leading leaders because the leaders have such an exponential impact, right? Like as a basketball coach, I could impact 12 people. And as a golf coach, I can impact six to six to 12 people, depending on the size of my team. Um, like that's what I can do. But if I can help leaders and all those leaders can help all of their kids and families, we can make such a bigger impact. So I focus the work that I did in the power of leadership. And so what I do with, with our school, with other schools is, is teach leaders about, you know, what's, what's wrong in our society, like the accidental things that are going wrong in our society. Um, so that we can then talk about how do we combat those things and fix those things. And what we focus a lot on is I teach about grit leadership. Uh, I mean, I mean about growth mindset um, and, and how that impacts the ability to be resilient and to have hope and to continue to push forward. We talk a lot about um, how, how parents and coaches can, can lead that mindset into kids instead of some of the other things they're doing. One of the ways that we lead them out of it is by focusing on results, which is very common now with, with the internet, with social media, it's very, um, you know, highlight reel oriented. Uh, kids are being socialized from way too early of an age uh, that, that only the results matter. And that's what people care about. That's how they get recognition. That's how they get loved. Um, and so we see that happening all the time. And so kind of talking to, to leaders about how do we combat that issue and the, and the way we do that is our, is our feedback to, to work with people by focusing our feedback and the way that we set things up on the process uh, much more than the result. And then finally, we talk about, 
you know, the affect of leadership, the importance of holding high expectations while also being kind, warm, and relational. Um, authoritative leadership, a high expectation with a coldness is very common. Um, friend leadership or permissive leadership is, is common, where in order to be liked as a leader, we drop the expectation level, let kids get away with things. Um, and so, you know, we kind of discuss those different things and, and try to teach people practical ways to implement that. And, um, you know, we, we see the symptoms a lot. Kids quit. Kids don't try. They don't even begin things. Um, we blame everybody except ourselves. Um, we do whatever we can possible to, um, to get that result, uh, kind of a win at all costs mentality, be able to promote ourselves on Instagram or whatever it may be. And um, those things are just symptoms of a sick society, an ill society that if we can teach them differently and lead them differently, we can, we can kind of turn that around. Well, Kevin, I'm wondering, uh, given that explanation, how do we get it into a, uh, a place where we're not working in the same direction? So in sport, for instance, we have high expectations, right? And we have winning expectations, um, or at least we, we, we think we might, or maybe we think it's appropriate in a sports setting. So I know you've been a basketball coach and I know that you are currently a golf coach and you're dealing with an underperforming athlete. And you talked about feedback and the affect of coaching. Give me an example of a golfer or a basketball player that uh, a, you might counsel a coach to say this or say that. Maybe they're stressed out by the moment. I don't know. What, uh, how do you um, use feedback and affect to move closer to what you're hoping for, which I think is a is sort of a grit disposition. Yeah, I mean, if, if we're thinking about a golfer, um, one of the big things that, that we try to focus on is to be able to control our process. Um, in all sport, we cannot control the outcomes. And we, we, we aim for the outcomes constantly because that's what people value and what people give us feedback on. But we can't control an outcome uh, as much as we want to. The only things that we can, we can control controllable things, which is our process, right? Our mental attitude, our emotional attitude, our plan, um, our ability to, to put the best swing on a ball. And so one of the first things that we talk about with golfers is that um, the scorecard puts a goal for every single hole, which is par. And so it doesn't matter if... It doesn't matter if you make an eight, you know, on the hole before there's, there's no way to, there's no way to make up for that. The goal is still the same on the next hole. So number one, you can't be a scorecard watcher and start freaking yourself out about what your result score is going to be. You have to make sure that you're trying to achieve the goal on every single hole, which is par. So you can't make up for it on the next one. You just have to try to get your goal on the next hole. And so how do you do that? You know, you really focus in on, okay, what do I have to do to make the best swing in this situation for this tee shot? And no matter what happens, I have to make the best swing, the best decision for this next shot. And so keeping the game small um, really helps golfers focus in on how to be the best version of themselves they can be. If they get their eyes set on that final scenario, they're often going to take risks that don't make sense. They're going to try to do things that aren't the best way to do it. And so we talk a lot about controlling the controllables, having a plan, you know, making the, 
the best um, of every single situation and, and constantly believing that there's an opportunity uh, to make that to make that goal that par or to minimize that damage as best as possible. So in golf, that's a that's a scenario. I think I think one thing that people do in in basketball a lot is you know they'll, they'll someone will score 24 points and and everybody in the whole gym is going to say oh great game you're amazing you know great job great job just feeding that 24 points. So the kids subconscious according to research would say I'm getting this praise I'm getting this love because I scored 24 points and I'm the high scorer. Right. And the problem with that is that there was a ton of process that went into that. They could have exactly the same game the next day, take all the exact same shots in all the same situations and miss them all. Play just as great of a game process wise and not score 24 points. Right. But you can only control your process and what you're doing. And so a better way to feed that kid back is to say, hey, you know, your, your hard work really paid off in a game like this. Or the way that you played around the, the floor today was, was really a, an impressive way to work with your team. You know, and so then the focus becomes much more on the process of playing the game. And that feeds a resilience that feeds something that we want more of. Right. Is is playing that game well versus uh, focusing on the outcome all the time. And so in basketball, you know, little feedback of instead of just great shot, it was, hey, I love how you set your feet, stepped into the ball and had a quick release on that shot. Whether it went in or not, you can say that instead of the ball, you know, great shot because the ball went in. You know, so just changing the focus as a coach to the process they're going through. And even if it's negative feedback, you know, um, hey, that time we were a little bit flat footed if we're able to get into that. I know it went in, but if we can step into that a little bit more, we could be quicker, give yourself a better chance to be successful on the next one. Because um, because being flat-footed isn't going to give us success in the long term. So changing feedback to process-oriented sorts of behavior seems to be uh, something that that builds um, resilience inside people, according to the research, and also that hope that there's the next thing, and they're focusing on the things they can control uh, instead of the things they cannot. So golf is a great sport to to talk about this because I think the application is is maybe a bit more evident than it might be in a team sport, right? So golf as an individual sport, I know it's played in a team, but as an individual sport, you can you can help any particular individual athlete see that he or she is a part of a is is going through processes that are leading to um, you know to, to healthier healthier living as an athlete to to maybe better results if that if that does happen to be the end goal. Um, but you can see, you know, regardless of how your opponent does, you can still see how well you shoot or uh, any particular hole or you know, whatever else. In terms of team sports where you're, you're judged in relationship to an ever-present opponent, it becomes certainly not impossible, but a little bit more difficult to be able to separate your own process and how that's impacted the way that, that you're performing each and every game because of the way in which another team might be just vastly superior to you or vastly in, inferior to you. So I'm, I'm curious if you can ch- chat a little bit more about how you're working with uh, team sport. And, and by team sport, I mean the things where there's defense involved, where, where you're sharing the same space at the same time, uh, how you're working with coaches from those sports in a way that might be different from say golf or tennis. Yeah. So it's, it's a great question. I mean, one of the things that, um, we always talk because not every sport that we lead at our school is, you know, championship successful or something like that. But but we can still teach them so much. Like one of the things we talk about a ton are these levels of growth mindset that I discuss from um, from Trevor Reagan. And 
the first one is desirable difficulty. The second one is it takes time um, to build skills and to, and to create improvement. And third, you have to opt in and actually do work, right? And so if we can focus kids in, in coaching, regardless of wins or, um, you know, a team sport win or whatever, um, if we can focus it on those three levels, we can really start to build the right sort of mindset into kids because any any argument or anything that they have or a complaint or whatever can go back to one of those three things. It's one of the most important things that I think we teach coaches is how to apply those three levels because we can have a, a team that is going to go 0 and 9 in football or something like that and make a ton of progress um, for these kids because they can learn that number one, um, we can constantly get better. We can constantly do our best that that things are supposed to be hard in order for us to grow. If we go to a weight room, we know that we can't lift five pound weights right, and get stronger. It'd be, we'd call that a waste of time. So to not be challenged uh, is not desirable. What is desirable is the difficulty it takes to improve. And so when you're when you're struggling to win games, it's important for kids to understand it's supposed to be hard. This is supposed to be a challenge. We have to attack those challenges. This isn't like we stink or we need to quit, you know, and that it takes time to get better. Um, we have to constantly opt in to taking the time uh, to get better. And so when we work with with teams that struggle, we're really focusing again on the process and those mental mindsets that we can control, because I think we all know that although we hope uh, in our hearts that things are simple and easy, um, we know that we don't grow without those challenges and those difficulties. So regardless of the records for our teams, uh, we really want to push um, getting rid of complaints and excuses and reframing them in, in these terms like, you know, um, well, we just stink. So why are we even going to try this week? You know, that, that might be something that, you know, a football team might say if they're owing whatever, um, you know, they just kind of lose that motivation. And, and the point is like, yeah, we're, we're not playing our best, but we can be better than what we have been. Right. We can we can be a better version of ourselves. And part of that is that we have to expect it to be difficult. We have to fight harder than other people. We all know the phrase that hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Right. And so we can we can live on that and know that effort, as Duckworth says, effort counts twice over time. And so the harder we work, uh, the harder we push ourselves, the better we're going to get and the more we're going to learn. I had a basketball team that was three and 23, and I would say it was one of the most successful teams I ever had. Not because we won games. Right. But because we became the best version of ourselves, we we. When we played together, we, we were not good at winning basketball games. But on the last day of the year, when everybody was done, everyone cried and didn't want it to finish. We had a seven-game losing streak to finish the year, and everybody cried, didn't want it to be over. Because the value was in the work. It was in what we were doing together. It was in constant improving. You know, it was constantly the leadership of we can, we can be better than this. We can do more. And sport can still be powerful, even when we don't win. We can be successful without being undefeated. And I think that's the, one of the biggest things society has done is, is we say we were, we're successful when we've won a conference championship or something like that. And I would, I would push back and say we're successful when we become the best version of ourselves um, and the team becomes the best version of itself because people are doing all of those intangibles. Um, and, and working that process as hard as they possibly can. And that's the value that we can learn from sport because we know it doesn't always go well and it will always be difficult uh, if, we're, if we're growing and pushing. So, Kevin, you're talking about value that we can uh, derive or gain from sport. And I think a little bit about uh, how, uh, 
you know, a number of the things that you talk about actually do still have a success mindset, meaning it does um, sort of put us in a position if we give more effort to potentially win more, to have better outcomes, those sorts of things. So it doesn't necessarily work against it. Uh, as I look uh, and I double checked it, grit is not one of the fruits of the spirit. And I wonder, I wonder, like, how do we make this connection? Uh, do we need to make a connection? Uh, because you talked about your faith life and we talked about what sport offers. Um, and, and maybe this is not a direction that you've taken this, but I just wonder um, how does faith integrate into the way that you talk about uh, sport with your leaders and with your athletes um, as it relates to grit? And there's, you know, Paul used a number of uh, opportunities to use sport as an analogy. And I wonder, uh, do you also try to turn to sport for those types of analogies? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think that grit has a ton to do. It's not a fruit of the spirit, but it, it has a ton to do with, um, with our faith life. I mean, we all know that we are not promised smooth sailing because we're Christians, right? In fact, uh, sometimes we're, we're given harder roads because of that. And, and I think some of the great uh, names of the Bible would, would certainly agree with that uh, if they're listening today. I mean, there's there's so many Bible passages that lend themselves to grit and perseverance. I mean, the one that the one that we have for our golf program is consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Uh, and I think that verse certainly outlines the ideas uh, of grit um, it, totally. I mean, another thing that I think is really important connection to make is the idea of growth mindset, that nothing is final, right? We're, we're not one thing or another. We're not pretty or ugly. We're not smart or dumb. We're not, you know, a good basketball player, or a bad one. Um, you know, Michael Merzenich talks about how whatever our limits may be, they're certainly higher than uh, what we think they are, right? As long as we get to work and, and, and practice and try to improve. And when it comes to the idea of faith and, and the gospel, isn't it great that, that who we are is not final? Because certainly we fail every day and, 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 and do not put God on display in the way that we should every single day. And isn't it great that that's not final? We have grace. We have, um, we have Jesus. We have his death on the cross to save us from that. And so the gospel in itself is, is growth mindset oriented. You know, that's the way that I look at it. And, and uh, certainly one of the key factors to being someone of grit and perseverance is to be growth oriented. And so, um, so the intersection of faith and grit, I think um, the connections can be made all over the stories of the Bible. Um, and, and, and certainly if you're looking for that, um, it's not hard to make those connections and, and to speak to speak to others about them. It seems like the, the story of the rich young man comes to mind too, where, uh, you know, he's, he's essentially told, okay, all right. So you act well, you think you're doing well, uh, you have a lot of assets, right. An affluent guy, um, give up everything you have, uh, to God, not not that that's what what necessarily was the point of that conversation, but it was that um, it's really hard, right? Uh, following Christ is 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 really hard, right? It's easier to, to go through the eye of a needle, and um, 
and enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the idea that there is something that, that we're striving for. So I, I love that answer. I'm curious from a developmental perspective, um, how, how your, how your mantra, how your rhetoric changes, uh, from when you're working with say coaches to when you're working hands-on with high school athletes on your golf team or otherwise to when you're working with middle school athletes to, you know, your own kids who would be, you know, elementary age and, and below, um, how, how do you how do you layer the the conversations there to, to plant the seeds with the younger kids that they can understand so it might be easier for them once they get to middle school high school I guess I'm thinking of the fact that I'm coaching a rocket football team right now with with nine and ten year old boys and for me to talk about process versus results uh, I think that you know some of them might understand a little bit but it'd have to be pretty concrete for them so I'm, I'm curious about how, how how the presentation of all this changes based on the ages of the kids you work with I mean I get to practice thousands of times a day with my with my kids, right? Um, we all know that kids are seeking approval and we want to be positive with them. Um, and my daughter can show me a picture, you know, that she draws and I can say, oh, you're such a great artist. That's so amazing. You're, you're the best. And subconsciously what I'm telling her is I'm giving you value and, and, and I'm supporting you because you're awesome at art, right? And, and so in the moment, that's positive. But but what if I was to say, oh, I love that you took so much time on that and were creative. You know, the, the power that comes through in that is so different than the simple dessert, quick fix. Hey, that's great. You know, love that. Um, but instead, I'm talking to her about her creativity and her attention to detail and how much I value those things. Because those are things we really want our kids to have more of, right? Is attention to detail, to be creative. Um, it could be, um, you know, oh, that that Abby, you know, brought a pillow to Sophie because she was tired and she brought it and say, oh, you're such a great sister. And again, that's not very descriptive, but I could say, oh, you it was so kind that you thought to bring Abby a pillow when she was when she was tired. You know, that that, that thought that you did that is, is so kind, Abby. Thanks for doing that. So then the focus is on 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 what she did. Right. Describing it versus just the final outcome, because kids will then make whatever subconscious judgment about our, our feedback. So when you're coaching ninth and 10th grade, you know, football teams, um, it, it becomes a skill of, am I giving feedback about the process they're going through? Because we always mean those longer sentences, but we don't often say them. Right. Um, and it doesn't even have to go uh, perfectly for that to happen. So I think as you scale it down, my wife and I have become really good at just focusing on, are we feeding back a, a result or are we feeding back, you know, a, a virtue, you know, you had Dr. Um, Sarah um, Schnicker on your uh, podcast this, this uh, summer. And she talked a ton about um, the virtues and, um, you know, kind of what, how leaders can bring those out. And she, one of her findings was that, you know, I think was that um, people that were win at all costs, people that were, you know, result oriented people, um, they brought out virtues that weren't great. Lie, steal, cheat kind of virtues, while people that were more about their why and about the process and about some of those things, they brought out the virtues they had hoped to bring out. And so just focusing feedback with kids, um, with other people on the things that are that are good that you mean to say instead of just saying good job this or good job that, um, but, but, but kind of refocusing uh, is how I level it down. The second way I level it down is to talk to parents at an early age uh, about those levels of mindset and how the way that they speak to their kid about the problems, you know, uh, is really important. 
um, you know, it's probably a difficulty thing. Instead of bailing them out, you know, we hear about snowplow and um, lawnmower parents. Uh, a lot of times what's happening in those scenarios, uh, a, a common one for athletic directors is, hey, I want to talk to you about uh, my son, Jimmy, but you cannot tell the coach or Jimmy that I'm talking to you. Okay. <laughs> that is the the definition of snowplow parenting, right? Where they see something ahead of time that they want to fix. So before anybody even knows about it, they're going to plow the way and make it clear uh, for their kid to come through and have a happy experience. And the problem with that is that if we want kids to learn how to manage difficulties and challenges, we can't make it easy for them their entire life until they leave, which is kind of what's happening, right? And then they leave us and then we see all these, these difficulties and failures and kids dropping out and not managing things and all of that. And, and we can start that at a young age with our coaches and, and, um, and our parents just trying to avoid that situation, you know, shoveling snow with them instead of for them, right? If we just do it for them, they never learn. And it can be hard because I've got three kids and I know what it's like to look at them and see them disappointed or sad or frustrated and knowing that I can fix it for them really easily. Um, you know, that's, that's something I have to kind of restrict myself from doing. It doesn't mean I love them less or that I'm a mean person. I'm just going to be in it with them instead of fixing it for them. You know, one example I have is my son. I mean, he didn't learn to dress himself until he was like six or seven years old because we were always short on time and it took him a long time. Um, and so we would just quick do it, you know, because we didn't want him to be frustrated and angry and start his day bad. And so we would just do it. And I'm sitting here like, what are we doing? Like we... <laughs> He's six years old, so he doesn't even know how to dress himself. You know, like, what are we doing? But we, we had done that to try to avoid that frustration. But the crazy thing was, once we let him deal with the frustration, he learned really quickly. Um, and, and so, you know, we just have to be careful. When we, when we level down, I think the key is to, to be focused on the, the things that we say to people being about the virtues and the values we want to come out in them. Um, and then secondly, um, being careful to, to allow kids into that struggle um, and allow them to sit in it uh, in the time it takes instead of trying to fix it or blame something away or call a coach or, you know, give somebody a hard time or blame an official. Um, you know, we allow them to sit in it and tell them what, you know, what can you do differently uh, instead of just fixing it for them. And so, you know, you asked about leveling it down and that seems to be the best way is to kind of go at those three levels that I talked about. Um, with, you know, that difficulty and, and not snow plowing the way for them uh, and focusing on that process. You know, Kevin, I'm going to test my listening skills here on, on the feedback I'm going to provide. So I really want to, you know, I want to thank you for your engagement with this topic and for really the effort that you've put into it. Uh, I'm really impressed with the humility that you've brought to the examples you've given and really the hospitality that you've shown in sharing all of this with our listeners. Um, nothing about your performance in there at all, right? Uh, thanks so much. I mean, uh, to me, I think the, the words that we use, the language that we uh, have can, can provide messages, but certainly unintended messages. Uh, and it comes out certainly as emotions are high. Right. Um, and emotions tend to be high in sport settings. Uh, I think what you've given us is a great opportunity to uh, reflect on the work that we do with the people that are in our immediate orbit uh, and a way to think about sport uh, 
and the opportunities it provides in development for our kids, for uh, students on our teams or players on our teams. Um, and, and I think all of us in those leadership circumstances uh, can get better at uh, providing feedback that is more focused, more direct, uh, being more proactive about some of the things that uh, maybe we take for granted, right? Or, or get loose, right? Just like you said, uh, in, in dressing your child, there are other things that really help us rationalize why we might do something. But in the end, it might not be the best possible result. So thanks so much for, for uh, taking a little bit of time with us on Sport Faith Life. It has been great to interact with you, and we, we definitely wish you the best as you continue on with this work. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate being on. Thanks for listening to the Sport Faith Life podcast. Find previous episodes at sportfaithlife.com and on Apple Podcasts. We're releasing each episode with a blog post authored by our guests, so you can find the blog for this podcast and other posts at the same website, sportfaithlife.com.